Hello, everybody. We're doing all right tonight? Well, I think we're going to be okay. We'll see. Then got me involved in the worship, and I didn't know what I was doing there for a second. All right. Well, wow, we got a good crew that showed up tonight. We're kind of uh, transitioning a little bit when we talk about, um, as Brother Lopez has said, um, we're going to be discussing uh, a little bit about evangelism and uh, and trying to be as concrete and as practical as possible. So uh, if you'll if you'll just buckle up, I promise to try not. Where did Juan go? Where are you? Did he? Oh, there. Did he step out? He's hiding because he knew I was going to preach at him. That's what it was. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about effective evangelism and uh, kind of take a run at, at it tonight. And uh, uh, thank you, Brother Fridley, for leading us in worship. Amen. Amen. Felt the presence of the Lord. Isn't it good to feel the presence of the Lord? To know that He's on your side. To know that no matter what the enemy brings against you, that God has seen so far out ahead of us that He has every. I mean, did you. I mean, you have to understand that David's battlefield was not a surprise to God. The battlefield was designed for David so David could be shown to be the leader of the hour. So uh, don't be surprised when hell walks into your life. Just know God's doing something. All right? All right. Well, man, you messed me up, Brother Fridley. You got me wanting to just... Could we just take a moment and just slip your hand up and... Lord, we thank you, God, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, Lord. We trust you. We appreciate the fact, God, that your provision is so far in front of us that we can't even dream, God, what you're going to do. Lord, we just walk humbly and faithfully and trust and never be afraid and never be tempted to doubt, God. And if we are, Lord, remind us, strike to our heart again in some place like this, through a song or a testimony or through your word in some way, God, for us to believe you, to trust you through the process. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good to be in church already, right? Amen. Amen. Well, okay. Well, let's jump into uh, effective evangelism. And I'm, I'm going to teach a little bit tonight. I don't think I'm going to preach wherever Brother Juan went. I don't think I'm going to preach tonight. I'm going to try not to preach. All right. So uh, the question is, in terms of evangelism, how do we uh, effectively uh, grow? Um, and by by that, I mean, what are the most productive ways forward in terms of church growth, right? You got a million people teaching a million things and a million methods and a million strategies, right? All right, well, I hope by the end you buy into this. <laughs> I'm not selling a book. I don't want you in my downline. I, I think this is the biblical model that has been proven to be the most effective. So let's take a look at it. Um, I, I think when we talk about evangelism, we have to be careful, careful because of uh, something called steward, stewardship, right? And people are like, well, that's like Dave Ramsey or something. You know, it's all finances and stuff. Hey, Brother Juan made it back. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. You heard I was going, I'm just kidding. Giving you a hard time. So a stewardship of resources, because, and this is what I mean by that. I'm not talking about money necessarily, although money is congealed life. You promise your boss that you will give energy and time for a certain amount of cash, right? Because if you just go show up and they don't give you cash, I don't think you'll go back. All right? So money really is congealed life, Right? 
That's what it represents. I promise to give you this much of my life, and you promise to give me cash. Okay? Right? So that's, that's, that's true. But there, there, there's more ways to talk about stewardship of resources than just cash. Uh, what about the two most precious commodities in life are time and energy? I promise that's true, uh, especially as you get <clears throat> older. You know, you, you just realize I'm not 18 anymore, no matter how much I try to fight it. So when my niece is on the trail number three at Turkey Run on the very rugged trail, and she goes, ooh, that looks like a fun side of the mountain, and she goes off the trail, up the side of the hill, you think I'm going to be left at the bottom like the old man? No, I'm going to prove that I'm no matter how much it costs me the next two days and sore aches and pains, bless God, I'm going to be up that hill with her. <laughs> but there is a sense in which time and energy uh, is the two most precious commodities. And if you realize that, then you, you have to say, how can I plug people in using their time and energy wisely? Because I promise you, people will not give themselves to things that continually fail. Right? So, in terms of evangelism, that means a lot of methodologies that are out there that have a great big initial buzz, had a billion people show up. And 50 million got the Holy Ghost. But there's actually no one that stayed, you know, from that two years later. All right, listen, people will not give their time, energy, talents, resources, money, all of that stuff to things that continually fail. So we as a church need to realize that we have to plug ourselves into, you ready? The most profitable things, right? All right, good. So that's just wise stewardship, right? How many of you would like to chop, I mean, I give you a job, chop down this tree. How many of you would say, okay, I have two tools for you. One is a, uh, a steel chainsaw, nice chainsaw. The other is uh, this pocket knife right here. Now, you could get the job done with both, right? But you'd be crazy to pick the knife. Why? Because it's more time and more energy than's necessary. Right, So we're going to talk about effective evangelism tonight and hopefully plug you into some good things and maybe we can just um, um, have some good stuff, all right? So uh, first of all, people say, well, you know, Brother Kilman, I know you want to shake up the young adult crew a little bit and you and Brother Lopez are over there brainstorming ways for us to get out of town and be exposed to new things, but really you can't really change kind of what's being done. Oh, well, take a look at what someone said about things that couldn't be done. The following statements are taken from official documents. That's newspapers and magazines that were read uh, widely during that day. And listen to what the authorities said uh, had, uh, had to say on issues. In 1840, they said this, anyone traveling at the speed of 30 miles per hour would surely suffocate. I drive faster than 30. Please don't amen, honey. All right, in 1878, electric lights are unworthy of serious attention. You know, you go into some places, uh, like if you go in the state house, they actually have uh, electric lights on tops and gas lights on the bottom, or maybe it's reversed, because they really weren't sure this whole electricity thing was going to catch on. Right? Uh, let's see what else the authority says. 1901, no possible combination can be united uh, into a practical machine by which men shall fly. 
That's just impossible. Right? In 1926, this is from a scientist. This foolish idea of shooting at the moon is basically impossible. Now, I will resist the urge to get into conspiracy theories there and whether or not you believe people. (laughs) All right, 1930, this is another scientist. To harness the energy locked up in matter is impossible. Okay, this is all things that were said by the authorities. You can't do this. You can't do that. Why? Well, it just can't be done. Well, maybe if we just push a little bit past kind of what we've always done and let go of some of our uh, fearful trepidations, kill some holy cows, um, have a great barbecue in Jesus' name, and, and maybe we can find some things that um, will actually help us to get the job done. Now, I will just tell you, talk is cheap. Right? And that's what we're doing tonight. We're talking. Talk is cheap because it's easier to read book after book and attend seminar after seminar uh, on how to do it than you ready to just buckle down, roll up your sleeves, and get to work. All right, we have a great opportunity. We got a tent revival coming up. All right, so we're going we're gonna to test that. How many of you say, I want to reach my city? How many of you want to be a part of what God is doing in Indianapolis and Calvary Tabernacle? Good. All right, that's, all right, now, now, that's the commitment. I know that's in this group, so this is not like chastising. I know this is where your heart is. What I hope to do in this lesson is to plug you into the most fruitful ways to do what you already want to do in your heart. Okay, are you ready? I'll give you some tools tonight? Okay, good. <clears throat> all right, so, uh, well, Brother Kilman, if we do this, we're going to risk failure. Though, well, that's absolutely true, but the only thing in life someone has said, that that's achieved without risk is failure. So get out there and try some stuff. What if it doesn't work? Well, scrap that and start over. Try something else, right? right? And that's okay. We're going we're gonna to do everything we can. J.C. Penney observed this. Geniuses themselves don't talk about the gift of genius. He said, they just talk about hard work and long hours. Because it's easy to look at that and be wowed. It's another thing to actually participate in something. And you ready? Give your hard work, time, energy, and talent to it and resources. It'll cost you. But I'm hoping that uh, you, you buy into actually what this is. All right? So what are the steps then in change? Well, change is, someone has said, is hard at first. It's messiest in the middle and most rewarding at the end. That's absolutely true. Right? So we're going we're gonna to try some stuff, and there's going to be bugs to work out, and you're like, this just isn't working. We're not catching traction. Would you just be patient? A little feedback from uh, the group to the leadership and say, how can we tweak this and make it a little better? How can we sand off the rough ed- edges and figure out what works in this particular neighborhood that maybe is not working in this particular neighborhood? And how can we make those adjustments? And I promise you, if you will do that, it's going to be hard at first. Messy, very messy. If you're going to birth cattle, the proverb says you're going to have messy barns. So if you, <laughs> I mean, it's a very graphic illustration. I mean, it's like you're going to have people come in that don't talk like you, act like you, smell like you, look like you, think like you. And that's okay. Right? And it's going to be messy. They're going to say wild stuff. If you've never taught a home Bible study to a new convert, it's fun. It's a, you never know what they're going to say. It's like one guy said, they were talking about the Holy Ghost. He said, man, that's the best blankety-blank thing I've ever felt in my life. (laughs) And what do you do? Well, you can't do everything in one night. You just say, well, that's great. And you just go on. And you deal with cursing later. 
right? So I promise you that it is rewarding and you will, it, it will get addictive. You'll love just rubbing shoulders with these new saints and you'll show them. I was teaching a Bible study. Joy has a Bible study going. She's out of town, asked me to cover. It was so fun, a young couple here at Calvary. And I, I walked them through Psalm 22, talking about a prophecy of Christ. And you just seeing the energy and the passion and the, the fact that they, for the first time, ready to see that God came and fought as man. See the lights go on in their eyes. That's just good. It's fun. I promise you. And you, you can have that experience too. Uh, so I will tell you this, that there are steps to change, but there are things that we can do to alleviate the pressure along the way. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Well, first of all, what are you going to do about change? Well, you have to have communication. What do you mean by communication? It means people, when we start doing things, you're not going to understand it all at first. And you're going to ask a million questions and feel like, well, I'm asking the same questions over and over again. Or, I, you know, how do I deal with it? That's okay. Communication is key. So we're just going to keep explaining and we're going to uh, keep trying to get them on board. And so you're going you're gonna to deal with people, new people. They're going to have questions. You're going to have questions. That's okay. You've got great leadership here to kind of guide you through the process and help you kind of make those switches. The second thing you need is clarification. That means we're going to explain some things, and, that, and very few things fit right out of the box in terms of evangelism. So there are going to be things that we're going to try, right? And maybe it works a little, but it needs help, All right? And what works somewhere else for, you know, like we're going to go to Rock Island, and uh, Brother Brown, uh, Dave Brown is an incredible guy. And if you, if, you will want, if you want to go to that, I promise you, you're going to see a church that's been built entirely upon that type of methodology. And they have plugged in, reached the city, carved a workout, and are doing quite well. How many of you would be interested in seeing somebody? Who, okay, I, Wayne Huntley said it in a sermon called No Substitute for Sons. He said, you need to go back to your church, pastor, if you're brave enough. And you need to say, how many of you repented of your sins, got baptized in Jesus' name, and got filled with the Holy Ghost in this church? He said, stand up. He said, that's your church. Everything else is glorified babysitting. Right? And that's just true. Now, there's, there's a right way for people to transfer. Please don't get me wrong. But if that's all the church we're going to build, you ready? If that's all young adults is going to be, then we're in trouble. We need to, and here's the great thing, Brother Barkus. You have, uh, in leadership, have attracted one and grown leaders in this group. And that's the model. That's the way forward. We're already doing some really good stuff. I think we can capitalize on what's working already really well for us. Right? So, uh, uh, We'll make adjustments, and that'll be okay. If it doesn't work, we'll just, we may have to scrap that particular outreach plan. Try something else, right? It's okay. All right, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, and so communication needs to flow from both sides. That means you need to say, I don't understand what you mean, or I need help with this. That, that's all right. So when we were doing the circle outreach at IBC, Juliana was a great kid. Uh, she, a kid. Oh, Lord, I'm calling college people kids. Old, old. She's a great woman. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she says, uh, she comes up to the circle and I walk up and I have some cards, some prayer cards for her. And I say to her, oh, Julianne, I'm so glad you're here. Help, help us pass out these. She's like, oh, no, Brother Kilman, I can't. I'm like, oh, you can do it. It's easy. And that's what I'm going to do to you. It's easy. Just, you know, go talk to strangers that you know nothing about. It's easy. And you're going to be like, uh. and you, you know, it's okay. And so I said, no, you can do it. And so I gave her some, and she came back, and this is what she told me. Brother Kilman, you don't understand. I was homeschooled my entire life. 
The first time she said, I spent a night away from home, she said, because I commuted to college, was coming to IBC. Right? She said, and then you tell me to talk to people, strangers on the street. I said, I don't, that, how do I do that? You know? And I said, well, it's really easy. This is what you do. You walk up to them. This would be like what you would do at the tent revival. You know who we are, what we're doing here. This is, you know, Calvary Tabernacle. At that time, it was Indiana Bible College. We're doing outreach on the circle. And then I say, and then you just give them tools like this. If you had one prayer request that we could pray for you, what would it be? You know what that is? That's a great tool because you want to pray for them, right? Right? So showing that concern, people say, wow, they really do care about me. This is more than harvesting my phone number to get me at their church. They really care about me. And so she did that with a young lady. The young lady came to the block party the next day that she talked with, and she said, well, let me drive you home. And she drove. It took uh, 20 minutes, I think, to drive. And she had hoofed it to get to Calvary. And she came back that next Sunday morning and got baptized. See? I mean, it's easy. I promise it's easy. It's just tools pushing yourself out, and you need some communication. You say, I don't know how to do this. Well, that's easy. We can give you tools. How to knock on a door, how to hand a flyer, invite him to something, and then ask him for a prayer concern or something. I promise you that that type of flow back and forth will help you tremendously. All right, so clarification and then cooperation. Uh, They usually say in terms of leadership in a group, uh, after six or eight months, the resistors stop resisting. (laughs) So we're going to go uh, on a long six six to eight month journey to hopefully push you out of your comfort zone and get you more used to doing things. Right. So uh, don't panic, but it'll it'll be fun. I promise it'll be fun, Sister Wolf. I promise it'll be fun. All right, so seed though, and here's where cooperation kicks in. After a while of sowing the seed, you're going to start seeing results. And somebody you taught a Bible study to is going to get baptized in Jesus' name. Somebody you pray with at an altar meeting is going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. I promise you, once that happens, it's over. You're hooked. Okay? So the point then is to just keep pressing on until we see the results. And finally, that leads us to commitment, which that means that finally you've, you've, they say around a year into the program of a church where you walk in and you're kind of trying to shake things up in a group like our group, about a year into it, you've worked out the bugs. You've caught your swing, your stride, you're, you're working really well, and you start hearing comments like this. Wow, we're really moving now. Right? That's where we want to get to. Right? We don't want to just keep coasting. We want to plug in and do what's in our heart and what I know is in your heart to do. Okay? All right, good. See, I got you on board with that. How many of you want to reach and now I'm going to make you work? <laughs> it's okay. It'll be fun. All right, so here is the question, though. There, uh, there's no substitute for hard work. All right, that means here's the real question. Am I willing to pay the price of hard work, patience, sacrifice, and endurance for a growing, thri- thriving young adult group? That's what you have to ask. Are you committed? Are you going to be a consumer? That's as blunt as I can be. Are you committed to growing this group? Are you committed to being part of the harvesters that God would send out in the field? Or will you, you know, my, my mom used to sing this. She used to mess me up. You know, how many of you, have you ever, any of you heard my mom preach or sing? Oh, that's terrible. 
She used to come in and she would start singing this song. My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? And I'm just saying, oh, God, I'm such a pagan. You know, she used to put you on your face, man. And she'd sing tears streaming down her eye. And you just, you got to go to the altar. You just got to go. It's, or like the other song, you know, you never mentioned Jesus to me. You helped me not the light to see. You know, you were with me day by day, and you knew I was astray. You never, see, that, they used to put you on your face. If you, you ready? If you were a lazy Christian. And then they just put their foot on your back and just keep you there until you repented. <laughs> my mom is a sweetie, but my Lord, could she preach and put you under conviction because you know what? You, you should care. And, and care is time. Care is energy. And, and that's what this is, this is about. So uh, nobody, I think, plans to fail. I don't think we plan to fail as a group. I think we just fail sometimes to plan. Right? We, we want to do things, but unless we're intentional, it will never work. So plan your work and then work your plan. Right? That's what we're going to do. How many of you say, okay, I'm, I'm signing up. All right, good. Whew. All right. I was nervous. Very good. There are more, more, hallelujah. <laughs> All right, so here's, here's kind of the outline of the way you do effective outreach. First of all, the principles of the word of God, guess what? They never change, ever. All right, so the principles never change. And the two jobs of the church are to win the lost and disciple people. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I hate to brag on this group. I probably shouldn't do it, Brother Barkus. But I will tell you, I think this is one of the most effective places I've ever seen anywhere in discipling people. This group. I promise you it's true. That's a kudos to your great leadership, uh, Brother and Sister Barkus, and pouring countless hours of time and energy and just on top of all the things you already do. So I take my hat off to you, sir. Um, it just takes an incredible amount of work. But I think... I don't know that you can improve it. Maybe you can. I don't know how. I think this group is one of the most uh, incredible places to disciple. I, I know, I'm, I probably shouldn't disclose this on the MP3, but I know pastors that listen to our broadcast, our webcast. You know why? Because they like the solid teaching. They like the approach of us digging into the word of God and discipling one another. So I think we're doing that really, really well. I think one thing that we can improve on is our evangelism, how we win the lost. So uh, these two principles never change. Win the lost and disciple people, that's our job. So our objective, that seldom changes. Occasionally, we'll shift our focus for a little bit. Our goal uh, changes occasionally. What are we going to do this month? What are we shooting for this month? Well, we're planning a tent revival. Uh, and, and the plan, guess what? The plan, if it ain't working, we scrap it. It's just a method. It's just like, we're going to try this. If it doesn't work, guess what? Scrap it. We're going to go back and shoot at our objective a different way. So methods can change. That's okay. Right? So that works on both sides, whether you're discipling people or trying to win the loss. Does that make sense? Okay, good. All right, so here's the point then. We have to aim at a goal. Uh, one man said it this way. There must be an overall purpose behind our mad rush to accomplish something. This is especially true in church. We can't be like, let's just go, go, go. It's like, no, no, let's aim at something. And, and then, you know, harness energy and point it to a specific area in the most profitable ways. Now, we can't just get stuck in the planning phase. And so we have to kind of... Work that out too. 
All right, so, but we do want to aim at a goal. All right, so let me tell you fast uh, 10 ways to keep from growing. Number one, try to reach only people in stable situations. <laughs> How many of you were stable before you came to the church? <laughs> Brother Friendly. <laughs> emphasize, emphasize. I, I'm not sure what those laughs of derision were for, Brother Fridley. I'm sure you were an amazing man when you walked into church. I, I do remember hearing something on Voxer, though, that I'll leave, I'll leave alone. <laughs> so uh, the second way, sure way not to grow is to emphasize quality, not quantity. Well, we're about quality. We're going to really reach a few people very well. All right? That sometimes is just code for uh, we don't want to push hard and work hard. All right, uh, don't be friendly to visitors. That's a great way to shut your, your growth down. Just, oh, who is that? You know, you know. All right, make, make growth entirely the work of the Holy Ghost. We're going to fast and we're going to pray. You're going to go knock doors and talk to people too. We're just going to pray that God sends him in off the streets. Now, God has done that. But he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into his harvest. That means you got to get out and you better put some shoe leather on your prayer or you're just mean, praying meaningless stuff. God, send someone. How about you go? Go ye therefore. I mean, maybe it's in the Bible. Okay. All right. I'll try to be easy. All right. Don't organize your group for future growth. That's a great way to hamper growth. In a, um, you need to find a way to say, look, you got to figure out what you're going to. You ready? When 10 people come in from the tent revival, who's already set up to teach them a Bible study? All right, she already asked for help tonight. Who's ready and willing to say, right now, if she gets 10 to 15 Bible studies, Brother and Sister Reagan, over there, I am plugged in and I'm ready to teach. All right, so you got to organize your group for future growth. All right, that's an, an important part of it. Insist on only using evangelistic methods that were used in the past. <laughs> I'll leave that alone, lest I make you mad unnecessarily. All right. Use any method without seeing if it's rooted in biblical principles. I'll leave that alone too, as much as I want to stop. I, honey, I am just a loose cannon tonight. You got to give me like a something. All right. Don't set any goals for growth at all. Because if you aim at nothing, guess what? You hit it. All right. So you need to set some goals. Say the days of revival are past. Well, you know, our group's been strong. We've had so much happen. You ready? We had this, we've had so much happen to our group that, man, there's just no way forward. And you can get hit. And you can get moral and, and um, not moral, morale hits. <laughs> you can get morale hits, right? And that's okay. But we can bounce back from some things and kind of take a run at it, right? Uh, or, or don't pray for revival. That's a great way not to grow. All right, so if, you, if we want to grow, we can just, con not grow rather, we can just concentrate on these 10 things. And I promise you, we will not grow. All right? All right, let's go a little further. Now, there are many methods out there. The question is, which are the most effective? And you can see the little, we got like a little boot camp thing up here. We got like the little mass evangelism crusade up here. Uh, we've got, you know, the hole in our gospel, which is kind of an evangelical approach of the social gospel movement. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, a soup kitchen maybe, or we got a guy on a, pre, uh, a corner with a megaphone. Right. Now, are, are any of those necessary? Well, leave me alone. Jesus, help me. All right, so I am not, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, instead of just trying to, 
exposed to what, what I think are all of the negative, silly kind of things. I could do that. But instead, what I want to do is say, okay, anybody can point out what's wrong. They say there's three levels of leadership. The first level is, aha, there's a problem. Thanks, genius. The second level is this. There's a problem. Here's a possible solution. The third level of leadership is this. There was a problem. I took care of it. Okay? All right, so those are the three levels of leadership. So instead of just complaining... Maybe we can find some productive ways forward. So here's one of the concepts that, that are out there. The more programs and methods you use, the more people you will reach. Okay, that's a myth. That is absolutely not true. The truth is the more thinly you spread your resources and divide your focus, the more ineffective we become because you only have so much time and energy to plug into what we're doing at Calvary Tabernacle and especially in the uh, young adults, right? Right? So you have only so much time and energy. So it's not important then that a church do everything, but that it does what's most productive and effective. All right, everybody goes, good, that's right, makes sense. Now, what is that? That's the real question, right? All right, let's, let's jump a little. All right, so tonight I'd like to talk about four methods of reaching people that's more effective than any others that's ever been tried uh, in our movement. I don't know why this isn't taught everywhere. I promise it's true. All right? It's, and it's tied to the concept of what people call oikos ministry. All right? What is oikos ministry? Well, oikos is just the Greek word, and it means home or household. All right? But it has a wider range of meaning than that in the sense that it points to friend, friends, family, and associates. Right? So oikos ministry is more than about just your house at home or your family, it's about a, a greater, in the greatest, I'll show you what that uh, means in scripture. Let me give you some scriptural references. All right, there are two occasions that help us see uh, the power of this kind of oikos-focused ministry as being an intentional approach that Jesus himself used. <clears throat> John 4, uh, verse 53, so the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, thy son liveth, and he b himself believed, and what? His whole house, okay? That's oikos. And when he came into the ship, uh, uh, he that had been possessed with the uh, devil prayed him that he might be with him. Remember the man with the legion? This is the story of the man with the legion. He cast out the demons from him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said, you ready? Go home to your friends. Oikos. Go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Why? Because they wouldn't accept Jesus, but they would accept the testimony of this man. So he went back, you ready, to his friends and preached Jesus. Right? Uh, let's, let's look at some more. I mean, it's replete in the book of Acts. I shouldn't, I shouldn't list all of these, but uh, the disciples follow Christ's footsteps in employing this kind of uh, ministry as well. Look at what it says. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. So they went to church. That's right. And breaking bread, you ready, from house to house. Right? So they went to, from house to house. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Acts 5.42. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God. You ready? With all his house. Right? 
And when she was baptized and her, you ready, household, she besought us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. That's Acts 16. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. All right, so this is, you ready, about family, friends, and acquaintances. Uh, we also have it in the epistles, two, uh, at least two accounts. I, I wish I could dive into all of them, but if you just want to do a good word study, look at oikos. Sometimes it simply means the house is a building. But a large amount of the times, it means the house uh, where people are gathered, either the, their home, their initial family, or even friends, that wider circle. And that's where um, the ministry was plugged in. All right, uh, so uh, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are of the, it's uh, the plural form of oikos, the household of faith. That means that entire uh, uh, church there. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. See, that's why we call each other brother and sister. Because the concept is not only just your family, the greater family. The family of God. That's what we're building, right? So the, the easiest way to reach people then is through, I promise you, family, friends, and acquaintances. That's why everything you do in terms of outreach needs to be attached to making a friend. Because it's not, I passed out 6,500,000 million billion flyers. Or we knocked... Two million doors. That's not the question. The question is, did you make a genuine connection with someone? That's what this is about. That's why when you're at the tent revival, please do not stand around and talk to Aaron Fridley. Just throwing your name out there, bro. <laughs> or anyone else that's in church. Okay, see, that's where I'm going to push you. If we're out at an outreach event or something, I'm going to say, look, you cannot talk to any saved person, Sister Troxel. You can't. You, you cannot talk to Dallas Davis as much as you want to counsel him and get him straight. You have to talk. Your job is to talk to the people who are visitors and make them feel welcome. Right? And you got to push yourself a little bit at that. Well, Brother Kilman, you're so extroverted, you could talk to, you know, a stump. Well, it's true. But it's always uncomfortable a little bit for me, even now, to engage a stranger. But you get over it, right? And, and you just push through it a little bit, and I promise it's easier. Take a look at this uh, particular survey. There was an Institute for American Church Growth, a survey where they took uh, an analysis of 8,000 faithful church members. These are not people that are fly-by-nights. These are the people that come to the church and are a core, core part of the church. They say, what was responsible for you coming to Christ or to this particular church? Four to six percent said, you know what? I just saw the church one day and decided to walk in. Four to six percent. If you're expecting them to walk in, your evangelism is going to suffer. All right? Uh, six to eight percent said the minister was the reason. Maybe they had a, a good personality or a reputation that they heard about. You know, they got a great preacher over there or something. And, and they come. That's six to eight percent. That's still low numbers. Uh, two to four percent says, well, it was the programs or the facilities. Well, we're going to have a big family thing. It better not be all you do. You better be connecting with people, Right? 
listen, you can have great programs, but that's just not going to attract people to stay. All right, four to, how many of you think you've got to get a little higher than 2 to 4%? Okay, good. All right, uh, 1 to 2% said it was door knocking. <laughs> that's why you have to do door knocking with intention. All right, and we'll talk about that in a little bit too because I think door knocking is very powerful if it's more than just when well, we'll talk about it. All right, 3 to 6% said Sunday school. I just wanted to go to Sunday school somewhere. All right, Sunday school better be more than glorified babysitting. And we'll, we'll talk about what that means too. Uh, one, are you ready? One percent said they went to a mass crusade. I think we better, I mean, you know how expensive those things are? We better do more than one percent, all right? Seventy to ninety percent said a friend or relative invited me. There it is. I promise you. This is very straightforward and simple. You need to make friends. You need to make acquaintances. You need to get to know people. And when you get a friend or acquaintance or a family member, guess what? Invite them to church. Is this thing on? It's just, I promise, I'm so frustrated at a lot of things that happens in terms of people plugging. Look, I want, people work hard. They do. And they raise a million dollars to give away 50,000 bicycles. Listen, I'm not against giving away stuff. But it has to be more than giving away stuff. All right, it's got to be plugged into something else, which is either meeting a genuine need and showing that you care and then getting a relationship with that person. And that's the, the key. All right, so it's both biblical and it's practical. Here's the advantage of this kind of oikos relationship. First of all, it's natural. People trust people that are close to them. It's just natural. Who are you going to believe, a stranger or someone that befriends you? All right, so it's natural. Not only is it natural, it's cost-effective because you don't have to rent the Lucas Oil Stadium. Uh, thirdly, it's fruitful. It's the most productive means of evangelism that there is. Okay? Uh, <laughs> fourthly, it's a constant source of enlarging contacts. Why? Because if I win Brother Reagan to the Lord, he has a whole group of family and friends that I don't know. And then he can start reaching them. The young couple uh, that, that are here, Lisa, and what's the guy's name? Jason. You know what he's doing? He's already witnessing to a buddy that he went to uh, a race with. He's already teaching him about Jesus' name, baptism, and the oneness of God. All right? So that's how you grow uh, your group. You get a constant source of enlarging context. It brings satisfaction, by the way, to members. The reason, you ready? Mm. I apologize for this up front. The reason there are so many disgruntled people in apostolic churches is because they're sitting there with nothing to do. All you can do is sit there and gossip and worry about who got picked for the solo or who got picked over or who's being shown the favorites or what sister. You know what you need to do? You need to get yourself busy about doing the work of God. And once you find real purpose in your life, guess what? You won't, all that trivial stuff won't matter anymore. Okay, a little pointed. I apologize. All right? It is the most effective way to assimilate new members because they find a friend. It's the easiest way to bring them in and disciple them and make them a part of the group. Uh, it also has the potential to win entire families, which is powerful, right? Because if you win a father, if you win a mother, even if you win a kid, 
We had a bus ministry. I was preaching for Brother Stringer in um, uh, Livingston, Tennessee. And I was, <laughs> this mother comes and asks me to pray for her son, going through a horrific tri- uh, trial and praying that the Lord blesses him through that. And she said, uh, I said, no, I, I said, I'm so glad you're bringing your son to church. That's a great step. Keep him here close to these wonderful men so he can have good role models and things like that. She said, well, actually, my son brought me. I said, what? She said, yeah, I know he's only five, but they picked him up for Sunday school. And one day he looked at me and said, Mom, why don't you come to Sunday school with me? She said, I've been coming ever since. All right? Because you ready? Some Sunday school teacher developed a relationship with that kid, drove over and picked him up, talked to him about the importance of church and being saved, and, and he invited his mama. All right? So... I promise you there's the potential to win entire families if you know how to develop uh, relationships instead of just trying to number crunch. All right, so what are the four most effective ways Oikos ministry works in our movement? Well, first of all, I promise, uh, please, please, I I couldn't say tattoo this on your skin. That would be wrong. But get this nailed down in your head and your heart. The number one way that people are won in our movement is by bringing them to church. Right? So bring a guest to church. Uh, it, and I, I will just tell you, this is the statistics. If you want to come see me where the sources are, I'll point you toward them. Bring more adults to church. That means 17 years old and up. You bring more adults to church and you'll see more conversions. All right. I'm... I'm if you if we want to talk more about that later, impress me on that. That'll be great. But I promise you it's true. All right? Uh, so here's what you need to do. This is a good growth, church growth statistics. For every, you should have five visitors for every hundred saints. If not, your church is working below capacity. You ready? It means we're lazy. Right? We've got to get about doing what we should be doing. Now, I don't think you're lazy. I think you want to do it. We're going to do it, right? Good. Okay. Don't, I, sometimes I get in strong mode and, you know, it sounds like I'm, like, chasing you. I'm not. I'm just saying if Calvary Tabernacle is running 12 to 1,500, how many, how many should we have? How many visitors? A lot. You ready? A lot more than it's here. All right. So we, we, gotta, we can do this. We just got to get to work and be intentional about what we're doing. All right. So... Uh, the second most effective way to win people is teach a home Bible study. You know why? Because home Bible studies develops relationships. All right? How many of you have... All right, it's okay. How many of you have never taught a home Bible study? Okay, that's okay. You should say, this year, I'm going to teach a home Bible study. Make that commitment. It's not hard. We're going to do a session on... I know Sister Collins was supposed to teach it, but she's... Leaving us. <laughs> no, she's not. Leaving. Well, she's, you know, the Lord is doing other things for her. So we know we're going to miss her. So we will do our best to teach the lesson that Sister Collins is going to teach to us. <laughs> is that enough guilt? I'm trying to get, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sister Collins is, how many of you going to miss Sister Collins? And, oh, I know. See, we miss her so much already. So teaching a home Bible study. Now, there are lots of home Bible studies to teach. Everything from exploring God's word to into his marvelous life, search for truth. Thank God they've updated search for truth. Some of those drawings, I just, it was amazingly pitiful. 
uh, uh, Bible study in a bag. And on Voxer, I heard Brother Fridley uh, talking about, and Sister, uh, who else was talking about? Sister Miller, that's right. Uh, talking about a Bible study that O.C. Marler actually taught that it's a very effective uh, way to just open the Bible and kind of walk through uh, the Bible a little bit. Uh, here's, the, here's the thing about teaching a, a Bible study. If you look at Acts 5.42, I'm going to have to let you do the homework because we're out of time already and I'm not even done. Uh, Acts 5.42, this is exactly what they did, right? Uh, if the lost won't come to us, guess what? We have to go to them, right? And I will just tell you that most people that grow up in the inner city will not leave a 16-block area in their life. That means every 16 blocks, guess what? A missionary's got to go there. And that means us knocking doors, us developing relationships, and us teaching home Bible studies. Right? It's a very, very powerful uh, way forward. Uh, the third most effective way is personal witnessing. All right, I'm ranking them in order too. Personal witnessing. Be- why? Because testimony trumps arguments every time. I promise it's true. And whether you're talking about your conversion experience or some type of healing that you've, that's happened to you or to someone else or some type of deliverance or just about your joy for living for God. You should talk up your How many of you enjoy living for God? Talk about it. Testify. Tell them you should come to church. You should, man, the power of God was there Sunday. It was incredible. You should come. If, you, if you've never felt the presence of God in your... Man, I'm going to tell you, God is good. And I promise you, even good Christian people... Uh, I've got to resist the urge to tell war stories the whole time. But my brother Jim went and, and was witnessing to a guy that he worked with at Riley Chemical, who was a, past, he was a Christian church uh, guy pastoring a Quaker church, which was hilarious. Um, but he was there pastoring, and, and he just... He talked to him about the commonalities that they had, about loving God and about prayer and about serving God. And, and he didn't just cram doctrine down his throat all the time. He won a friend and talked about the things they had in common, talked up God and his experience of God. And then one night when Jim was driving by, it was late at night, he was dropping Melody off for a skate night uh, that the youth group was having. He, he said he felt like God said, see if, uh, see if he's working tonight. And he said, Lord, it's two in the morning. What's the chances of him working? So he calls up there, and guess what? He's upstairs preparing for Sunday sermon out of the book of Acts. He's reading Acts 2, and, he's, and he says, Lord, I don't understand this. And then the fo- phone rings in the break room. Ring, ring. Guess who's on the other line? My brother. And it turned into a Bible study, which turned into him getting baptized that night. Or morning, I should say. All right, so just, just witness. Tell your experiences. Tell your testimonies. I promise you the result will be if you testify more, the result will be more visitors to church and more opportunities for home Bible studies. I promise that's true. All right? And then uh, finally, fourth is Sunday school. I don't care if you call it Sunday school or Wednesday night. All right, this kind of thing that we're doing right now, where we have a close, intimate group, where we're talking with one another, and we're bonding, and where visitors are welcomed, and you can learn about their life, and they can say, wow, that group cares about me. All right? Why? Because I will tell you, the 10 largest churches in America have thriving Sunday school, and it's true for the lar- most of the largest apostolic churches in our movement, in the UPC. The reason they're large is because they have thriving Sunday school. Right? Uh, don't believe me. Please don't believe me. Do the research. All right? So why? Why is this important? Because it's the most effective way to turn a stranger into a friend. I'm going to tell you, I, when I first came to Calvary Tabernacle, it was Winds of Refreshing, Singles Conference, and I was a visitor. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, if it hadn't been for the preaching at night, I would never come back. Calvary felt like a very cold place. And I, I probably shouldn't say that, but I'm going to tell you, that was my initial experience of Calvary Tabernacle because no one shook my hand until I got into the private group and then Brother and Sister Sluice, who were over that ministry, pulled me in, welcomed me in a smaller setting. I got to know people. And guess what? Wow, people at that big church do love people. That's why what we do in settings like this is absolutely critical. It's a way for them to be pulled in close. Because I'm, I promise you, I know because I'm a member of Calvary now. All it is is people are busy. They got their friends and their responsibilities. And they're thinking, of, of course that person's attached to somebody. And guess what? They may not be. But when they come down here, what do we do? They get peppered by like 40 people. Hey, welcome. Glad you're here. And that's right. Because we want to show them that we love them. But sometimes up there in a larger setting, they can fall through the cracks. We don't want to do that, right? We love people, right? We want to help them. All right, so uh, Sunday school. All right, but uh, let me just tell you, though, with that said, you're thinking, wow, that's easy. We can go, the ch- we can go uh, you know, right now. That's true. We can. But it does, you do have to deal with the reality of averages. All right, this is where people can sometimes get frustrated in evangelism because they don't know going in of what it's really going to take to grow. Right, so they don't know how much work must be performed to see a given result. You try it for a while, and then they're like, oh, guess what? I'm going to give up in discouragement because nothing's happening. And what happens is, is they give up just before seeing the fruit of their labor. Now, what do you see right there in that field? Nothing. It looks plowed. It just looks like nothing. But there are seeds growing in that field. And you know what it is? It's perfect right there in its stage. And if you get frustrated... In the process, and you're not faithful, what can happen is you can stop and walk off and forget the crop that's already in the ground germinating. The same is true in evangelism. You're going to be witnessing to people. You're going to be teaching Bible studies. You're going to be sowing seed, and you're going to be like, I don't see any results. What's God? Brother Kevin's a liar. It's like, no, just give the seed time. Uh, You sow, someone waters, and God gives the increase. The law of sowing and reaping is just as true as Acts 2.38. So just sow, just water, and allow God to give the increase. All right, that that means then you have to realize that a certain number of visitors, a certain number of Bible studies, a certain number of contacts made, uh, a certain number of Sunday school growth will bring in souls. It's the law of the harvest. Right? So you need to believe that. So what happens then is you need to ward off the disappointment when the results aren't initially seen. Give it some time, labor, work on the field, and then uh, plant some seed and let God give the increase. All right, so that means we have to work then towards a meaningful purpose, though. To stand up and say something like this. Church, we need a, a bunch of visitors. Yeah, that's ambiguous. To teach a mess of Bible studies. To witness to a ton of sinners and really grow in Sunday school. And then we're going to have revival. That's just like, you might as well, I hate to say that, but you might as well have said nothing. Because you need to set goals that people can see. The Bible lays out the parable, the parable of the sower of the seed. That means that we should get one in four. Right? Parable of the sower of the seed. One fell on good ground. There was three other types of people. So that means you're going to have to teach four Bible studies. Okay? That's okay, right? So I don't want to set you up to thinking, bless God, I'm going to witness to everybody, and the first person I witness to is going to come. Maybe they will. But the, the point is, Jesus promised us one in four. 
Okay? Right? So we know that's true because of the parable of the sower of the seed. All right? So what is the averages in church work? I wish I had time to spend a whole lot of time here. Let me just show you. How many 17-plus-year-old visitors do I need to bring to church? Well, you need to set up three times your quarterly goal. All right, so if your goal is for five to receive the Holy Ghost, then on, on typical average in our churches, you need three times 15. You mean 15 visitors and five people should receive the Holy Ghost. Okay, pretty straightforward, right? Right, well, let's look at, look at another. How many Bible studies do I need to teach? Well, for Bible studies, it's more effective. It's two times the quarterly goal, right? So if your goal is for, uh, uh, you know, uh, 15 to receive the, or 10 to receive the Holy Ghost, then you have two, you need to teach uh, 10 Bible studies. What did I do there? If your goal is for five to receive the Holy Ghost, then you need to teach two times five, which is 10. You teach 10 home Bible studies. Now, that's work, right? It's like search for truth is like forever long, it seems like. No, it's okay. Just sow the seed. All right, you need to know that these, these are the types of reality. How many personal witnessing contacts? Well, average... Uh, is 50 times your quarterly goal. Because witnessing, just cold turkey witnessing, is not nearly as effective, are you ready, as bringing someone to church or teaching a home Bible study. So you need 50 times. Right? So personal witnessing is okay, but you know what every personal witness should be aimed towards? Getting them to church or in a home Bible study. Right? Because those are the most productive, uh, productive way, ways forward. And then for Wednesday night, we can look at that you know, in terms of uh, where you want to hit in terms of attendance, dividing it into quarters, and just set some goals. All right? <clears throat> All right, so what is the goal? Goal, a result then. You get your four quarterly goals for visitors in terms of Bible studies, contacts, and uh, Wednesday night attendance. That's what we want to do. Right? Is that, pretty, is that good? All right, so this is, this is what I want you to do. Uh, I want tonight, if you, if you walk away with this principle intact, okay, I know that the most four, the, the, the easiest ways to win people are what? Take them to church, teach a home Bible study, do personal witnessing, right? And fourthly, take them to Sunday school on Wednesday night. <laughs> All right, good. All right, so that's the most effective ways forward. But what you need then is prospects. A good salesman will tell you the key to any type of sales is prospects. So a prospect is just this, a non-apostolic of whom one or more persons in your church knows in some way. That's a prospect. That's a potential person. Remember, 90% of people reached were oikos people. So that must be where our focus is. So if I could get Brother Fridley, you want to help me for a minute? And maybe... uh, uh, who would like to? Brother Reagan, will you help me? I'll quit picking on. I won't pick on the ladies too much. All right, what I have for you is uh, a prospect file. I'm going to show you where uh, there is a, a way to reach. Oh my lord, I have to quit. You got? You guys got five minutes? Okay, five minutes, real fast. All right. So why should I develop a prospect file? Well, first of all, it focuses on a specific goal because we go from I'm going to reach my city to I'm going to reach Fred Turner, right? That's what you got to do because I guarantee you if the most effective way to win people is family, friends, and acquaintances, all of you right now could fill in these boxes. You know what you've just identified? The people, you ready? You should be inviting to church, trying to get a home Bible study with, uh, bring to Wednesday night service, 
uh, or um, what was the other one? What did I forget? Say again. Yes, that's right. Sunday school, Wednesday night, witnessing. That's right. Testifying. That's right. All right. So, all right, look at this list. How many of you said you want to reach your city? This is your city. Forget saying I'm going to reach Indianapolis. Identify your city right there. This is the, these are the people, I promise you, every time someone does this, each one of you, I guarantee you, will average between 6 to 12 contacts right now. All right, that's who you should be working on. That's who you should be witnessing to. That's who you should be inviting to church. That's who you should be te- trying to get a home Bible study with right now. How many of you think you could do that? Good. All right, who's your target? Family, friends, acquaintances. Well, I want to reach the whole city. Guess what? If you reach them, they're going to have a different pool of friends and influence. And that's how we reach our city. Right? We each one reach one, and then they reach the people that they know. Right? All right? So uh, a prospect file focuses on a specific goal. It focuses on a specific need. Uh, and and we'll, I'll resist here to get into that too deep. It also focuses on specific methods because not all methods are effective. So bringing them to church, teaching them a home Bible study has been incredibly productive and all this mass evangelism stuff is not really. All right? It focuses on specific prayers. It has you praying for individual families and individual people and then you can see if your prayers are actually answered. So how and where do I find them? Well, you find them everywhere. You see everybody that you meet as a potential soul. Right, so when you're finding prospect, that means uh, you have that particular form right there. Usually six to 12 people, you'll find you can do that. That means non-Christian family members are so, uh, of even like Sunday school attendees. So we can, we can get wildly creative. You can say, here are the people on my list. Maybe because, you know, they're a friend and I'm a girl and he's a guy, I can bring him to a function and introduce him to one of the guys in the group, Right? Because so, we don't really believe in date evangelism. Just so you know. Just throw that out there. A little pastoral comment in the middle of all that. All right? So here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I'm going to challenge you sometime in the rest of this week. You ready? To fill out this perspectives list. And then not only fill it out, I would like you to, to commit to inviting everybody on that list this year to church, to special functions, and to, and to push for a Bible study. How many of you still want to reach your city? <laughs> okay. All right. This, I promise you, is, is the easiest way forward. I'm going to quit. I, I'm not done, but I'm going to quit. Uh, I, had a, I was going to talk about the, the best ways to do door knocking. Maybe we'll do that at a different time. The, mo- the way to make those most effective. And those really work, but you have to do them the right way. Let me just close with this story, and, and then we're just going to be done. Carrie Martin uh, graduated. She was my personal sin- assistant. Uh, she was also the MSA director. She had MSA uh, running uh, the first year she did it three times, um, three times the amount of the strongest leader we had ever, even when one particular leader had way more students when we were running 270. So with about 50 less students, she had it running three times as strong as he did. The, the last year, she had it running four times as strong. She's incredible. She's organizationally savvy, just incredible. 
but she went to living uh, uh, to Lexington to help Brother Tony start a church. And she tell she told me she said, I was at work and just in casual conversation, they said, "What are you doing in the city? Why have you moved here?" She said, "Well, we're helping start a church and we have a, you know some Bible studies going." And one of the ladies said, "Wow, I'd, I'd like to come to a Bible study." And she said, "Wow, that would be great." And so she starts talking to her about God, and they start asking questions about <laughs> everything. And in that conversation, two other ladies walk up and said, what, what are you guys talking about? So we're talking about, you know, God and this and that. And they said, and she's teaching a Bible said that we'd like to go. Short, long story short, I think she has five ladies in one little conversation coming to a Bible study. I promise you it's that easy. If you, would, if you just have enough courage to bring God up, I promise you there are hungry people. Uh, let's see. Uh, we're looking at... Mm-hmm. I'll talk to Brother Lopez. Where is he? And we'll set something up. Because I, ha- I have the material. No, that's right. Good. I have the material with me because you have to talk about tailor-making Bible studies to met- meet the need of the person. If they're already Pentecostal, uh, you may want to use into his marvelous light, which deals with the distinctives of the apostolic doctrine. If they know nothing about scripture, you may have to use search for truth or exploring God's word. Uh, so you have to tailor make them a little bit, but there are, way, there are incredible ways to do Bible studies. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, great. Yep, yep. Yes, because here, I promise you, this is all the Bible study is. It's you getting contact with them and them becoming your friend, knowing that you care about them and that God cares about them. I, that's why I know Search for Truth is long, but it gives you 12 shots. Now, usually by the time they get to six, they've decided whether they, they want to commit or not. Uh, so you, you can... You can already know, but probably within the first three lessons, you can kind of know if this is a good prospect or not. Now, don't write them off. Teach it as long as they want to. Te- they want to be taught. But usually, about the sixth one, if they're interested, they commit, start coming to church. Uh, if someone comes to church three or four times, usually the people that get the Holy Ghost in our church, they've been here three or four times. And so we have to really talk about. We see we didn't tap into some stuff tonight. The number one <laughs> prospect is visitors. They're already here. And if we don't have a good visitor care system greeting, you know, where I know everybody wants to, but sometimes we just aren't intentional. Uh, we have to just make them feel welcome. And if it's like walking into Walmart and you're ready to buy. And you're like, where, where is anybody? It's like that old adage, uh, don't ask me, I just work here. You know, how many of you ever, like, you wouldn't, and you're like, I promise you, if you're in like like the hardware store, don't ask those, you know, 15-year-old. I don't know how they they're, they look 15 to me. I guess I'm old. Find this old guy who looks like a gnarled oak tree, just and he knows the shelf. He knows the go to aisle six, third shelf down, left hand side, right beside this and this. He knows everything. It's really true. <laughs> but so if I walk into Walmart and I'm ready to buy and I can't find anybody to help me, all the money they're wasting on advertising doesn't matter. Because until we get to the place where the people willing to buy in the 
and the church are taken care of, we might as well shut the doors. Don't knock another door. Don't have another tent revival until we make our visitors feel welcome. That's tough, but that's true. All right, so uh, I think there are wonderful things that we can do, but that, those Bible studies are meant to build relationships, and nurture them, and show them that we love them. <laughs> this is what you have to do. You really have to embarrass people. Like, you know, walk up to them and say, hey, are you, what's your name? Uh, you know, I'm so glad you're here. Are you a visitor? They say, I've been here for 50 years. You know, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Forget about it. You know. But, you know, we can just, we have to get over ourselves. It's just really not about us. It's finding a visitor, and if you don't know them, shake their hand. I promise you one of the greatest bits of advice Josh Anderson ever gave our young ministers group, I incorporated it into my ministry right then. He said, you should walk in and say, you should look around. I can talk to you guys all the time, but I should look around and say, where's the visitor? And then I walk over and say, hi, who are you? Welcome. And he here's the thing. If you will do that initially, it's uncomfortable. But after a while of practice, it becomes second nature. That's what we need to build ourselves into.